Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On tonight's program, I'm going to do something a little bit different by looking at four stocks that haven't really done well in my portfolio recently, but I do think they have potential to do well over time. And as a long-term investor, I'm prepared to give those these companies a bit of uh, benefit for, of the doubt. And I think I'm supported by analysts who also think these companies have potential. Then I'm going to talk to Bill Evans, the chief economist of Westpac, to see where he thinks the Aussie economy and the global economy is going and how that could affect stock prices going forward. So, and Bill's one of the most respected economists in the country. His forecasting ability is, uh, you know, accepted by government, reserve bank and whatever. He's a very, worthwhile person to listen to if you want a bit of an indication of where we're heading. And then I'm going to talk to Michelle May of Michelle May Buyers Agents to get an idea of what's going on in the property market right now. She reckons that the buyers are starting to come back to the market. Auction numbers are on the increase, but also supply of property is on the rise as well. So what should happen to prices? Uh, Michelle is an expert in the market. Let's just see what she has to say. So without any further ado, let's go to my little presentation on what is happening to four stocks that haven't been doing well recently. Well, it's racing time of the year with Saturday bringing the Caulfield Cup, which is the dress rehearsal for the Melbourne Cup in three Tuesdays' time. And the great horse trainer of Cup history was Bart Cummings. And he once said, when he reflected on his training of the great stayers, that patience is an asset. And the same applies when it comes to investing. Training a wonderful thoroughbred to win a time-honoured race like the Melbourne Cup, I think is the highbrow aspect of the sport of kings, while punting is the lowbrow aspect, and it can be compared to speculating on stocks as opposed to being an investor in quality companies for the long term. Now, of course, you can try and trade by buying a stock and flipping it once you're happy with the gain you've made, but timing can be tricky, just like betting on the four-legged lottery on the Melbourne Cup day. Now, right now, ASIC is watching those dodgy types on the stock market right now because there's a thing called pump and dump. And what's happening is that people are going, using, going online and, and they're using uh, Facebook and Twitter and other uh, online platforms to pump up the reputation of a stock try and get the whole thing to go viral, and then seeing the share price rise, the people who actually created this pumping then dump the stock to make money. And you've got to be really careful about that kind of speculation. Now, in contrast, I think there is a more patient play that you can do when it comes to speculative stocks. And I think the important word to understand, you can. You can't ever be certain about speculative plays, but I think you can actually look at some speculative stocks and kind of come up with a, a strategy which I actually use for my speculative plays. Basically, when I invest, I invest mainly in good quality companies, especially when the market belts them up. So I love buying CBA when it was $60 after the Hain Royal Commission and after the coronavirus. And now, as you can see, it's over $100. That was a very easy play to do. But sometimes I like to buy some speculative companies when the analysts believe there's upside. And I want to talk about a few of those today. One of them actually 
you know, I've lost a bit of money in the short term, not much, but just a little bit. I'm hanging on to them because I do believe there's uh, upside for these companies. So let me run through at least four that I think are really relevant right now. And the first is Appen, or, and it has the ticker, ticker code of APX. This is a company that has really disappointed the market and has struggled since the coronavirus to stabilise a lot of its customers. And its customers are really big end ones like Google and Facebook and whatever. And this is a company I think is really well positioned for the future of business because it's in artificial intelligence, it's in machine learning. And as I say, it's got some pretty big customers out there. But the coronavirus really knocked around a lot of its Silicon Valley customers. It affected the share price. I also think the company's probably not doing as well as it should. Uh, also, there are some rumours that some of the big customers might be trying to do themselves their own artificial intelligence and machine learning plays. But I still think that this is a company that when business gets back to normal, it'll actually start to improve. Now, FN Arena is a company that surveys a lot of the um, analysts of these big companies on the stock market. And there's four expert company raters there, and all of them believe this company has upside. The average upside is 44%, but you can see the chart that's on screen right now. Now, I might have to grab my glasses to actually read these. Um, but as you can see, that um, City thinks there's an 84% upside for Appen, Macquarie 27.84, Credit Suisse 19.18%, and Ordmanet 46.2%. So Appen certainly is a quality company with a few challenges now. But over time, I suspect it will beat those. And really, I, I must admit, I hope the City analyst is completely on the money with that 80% plus call. So by the way, just as I, I was writing, I checked out the performance of APX share price today, and it was up 6% today, which is a nice little start. But it's still a long way to go to uh, get back to its former heyday before it fell out of uh, popularity on the market. Now, another company that I'm prepared to do the Bart Cummings patience thing with is a company called Newix in Excel. This was a $5 stock that after listing spiked to $11.84 before management was accused and found out for misreporting, and it led to a huge sell-off. It's now $2.52. But analysts believe the company has a target price that suggests it could go up 156%. That's unbelievable. I always say when I see these big numbers, well, you're only half right. I'd be happy with half of 156%. Now, unfortunately, there's only one analyst covered by FN Arena, and that's Morgan Stanley, the big US investment company. Um, and they obviously believe there is potential for this company. Newark specializes in transforming masses of amounts of messy data from emails and social media, communications, and other human-generated content into searchable, contextualized information. And it has huge customers in both the public and the private domain. And it was a huge, um, it, it was a, a hugely successful company until all this misreporting really lowered the boom on the company. And, and when you think about this, there's huge customers potentially, you know, they're not going away. So in a sense, it's been the market's um, fear that they can't trust the reporting 
that has really damaged the company. The fact that they've got these big customers out there makes me think that the potential for the company still is certainly believable. And, and also there are a lot of really smart people from Macquarie that have been associated with this company. Their reputation has been um, dented as a consequence of this uh, problem with the company. And I suspect one day this company will certainly reassert itself as a quality business that might take some time. Have a look at the chart. That is a really very, very sad story. And I think investors will need some Cummings patience to um, wait for it to come back to its former glory and maybe take out um, a, a, a win on the stock market. Now, the next stock uh, that has been pretty disappointing as a performer, I, I guess is a bit like a horse that's out of form, is A2 Milk, which actually has had a couple of good days this week, in fact, the month's been pretty good as well. This uh, chart here graphically tells you the sour story of A2Milk's great reputation as a quality company going off the boil. You can see that it was once upon a time a $20 stock. It's now hovering around the $6 space or, or, or maybe a little bit higher, but that's basically where it is nowadays. And, you know, it's really struggling to get back to its former glory. The company has gone from greatness to a stock price smashing that usually is reserved for second-rate companies, not quality performers. And the company now has to uh, contend with a class action taken out by the law firm Slater & Gordon because the lawyers say the company misled investors. Now, despite that, the share price has bounced back over the past month, as you can see there. I've actually pulled out the monthly chart for A2 Milk, and you can see it has improved. If you look at the chart closely, it's gone from about $5.50 to nearly $7, which is a pretty substantial bounce. Well, why, why did the company come, come undone? Well, the coronavirus was no help. A part of its profit came from the Chinese Daigu trade, where travellers uh, brought back baby formula to China and took it back to sell at home. The company also had inventory issues and Beijing was encouraging citizens at, in China to support homegrown products instead of products like A2 milk. And then there were four downgrades from the company and the reliability of the company's reports was called into question. So I guess the question is why the bounce? Well, this week, a rival company called Bubs Australia announced a better-than-expected revenue growth number, and this rubbed off on A2. The market thought, well, if they're doing well, even though the companies are not direct competitors, they do rely on, on Chinese trade, and the fact that one company is doing well, revenue on the improve, has made uh, the, the market uh, think that maybe um, A2 Milk is in for a, a bit of a better run. This chart here of Bubs Australia, you can see what the spike has done. Uh, pretty impressive jump here. If you have a close look, you can see that the share price has gone from about 38 cents up to um, about 55. Uh, and that's a, a reflection of the fact that the market is starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with this kind of product. I don't know when A2 will actually be out of the woods, but I am going to give it another year. The analysts who look at these companies uh, as a group tip a 12% fall in the share price for A2. And some even tip a 20% fall. So the story is not as good as the other stories. But these people, these analysts, are more short-term compared to a long-term investor like me. As I say, I'm prepared to give it a year. Those forecasts put out by analysts are for a much shorter time period than one year. Inside a year, this might give... Um, 
you know, it might give us some time to see Chinese tourists come back to Australia. The Daegu trade may will be um, uh, revamped. Um, and as I say, you might need six to 12 months for that kind of thing to happen. I guess on the other side, you've got to understand that Beijing could easily discourage uh, Chinese tourists to, to come to Australia because Australia and China have a, a few political and trade issues at the moment. It, it does raise a bit of a question mark over the potential of this company. I do go back to the bottom line. This is a quality company. I know a lot of Australians go into, a, into their shops and, and they look for A2 milk because of the, the very brand establishment that A2 has created around that mystique of A2. I suspect the future will be good for this company, but it just might take some time before that future comes to reality. Now, my final patience play is Fortescue or FMG. The consensus of the analysts think that this is a 26.8% upside company. And Alderman Nett is far more confident. It thinks there's 74% upside out there to happen for the company. The iron ore price has fallen recently, but I think FMG will benefit from the economic boom of next year. And after the February Winter Olympics in China, China at the moment has the Olympics coming up. They want the skies to be blue, they want the air to be clear. And so a lot of the heavy production that China's famous for has been toned right down. That's had an impact on the iron ore price. I think once the Olympics is out of the way and China looks at this Evergrande property problem and how it could potentially slow down China's economy, could start ramping up the, the production of steel for modernization projects, infrastructure projects as well. And all those sorts of things, I think could be good for the iron ore price, could be good for the bottom line for a company like Fortescue. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I believe this company has a much better future come 2022. Five out of seven analysts see a higher share price going forward. Here's a chart for Fortescue. You can see it has, had a history of, of bouncing back after sell-offs, and I suspect this will be, again, will happen. The company will have a, a better period, 2022, 2023. Um, this five-year chart shows the bounce back history, and I also like the fact that Andrew Forrest, the chairman, is out there at the moment pushing really hard for his company uh, being diversified into green hydrogen energy. Uh, and that does add diversification to the Fortescue company and its revenue and ultimately its profit. I don't expect a big gain for Fortescue soon, but with Cummings like patience in 2022, we should see some nice results. So that's my collection of interesting companies. I think they have potential. It does require patience, but they certainly are worth a look at and uh, worth considering if you're trying to find companies that will potentially do well over the next 12 months or so. Now, coming up, uh, I've got the Chief Economist of Westpac, Bill Evans. And Bill Evans uh, looks at 2022, and you'll be really surprised how fast he says the Aussie economy is going to grow. And remember, if the Aussie economy grows fast, it's got to be good for company profits, and ultimately that must factor through into share prices as well. So coming up after the break is Bill Evans of Westpac. Well, joining me now is the Chief Economist of Westpac, Bill Evans. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm great, Peter, and it's good to see you again. Yeah, same here, mate. Now, look, a lot of us people are, are kind of hoping that 2022 will be a, a strong 
economic rebound year. Is that what your crystal ball is telling you? Oh, I think so, Peter. Yeah, I th we're expecting growth of 7.4% through 2022, but that's off the bay off the back of a 4% contraction in the September quarter 2021, and a relatively tentative recovery in the December quarter. A number a number of factors. I think people will be quite tentative to begin with uh, to go out into the society. Uh, we've, we're seeing that the government's withdrawing the disaster payments pretty quickly. Um, so I think that the the recovery will be much slower than we saw, say, after the after the lockdown in the June quarter last year. But it will build momentum through 2020, 2022, and we'd be looking for the unemployment rate to get down to 3.8% by the end of that year. Uh, Bill, I, yeah, you and I have been talking for decades. We would never have imagined you'd be talking about 7% growth. Um, even your unemployment numbers are extraordinarily low. What's going? What's driving the fact that unemployment can get so low? But Peter, let's look at what what we've just come through. So in the year to the June to June 2021, the economy expanded by 9.4 percent. So the 7.4 is, you know, when you're coming out of lockdowns, you can get these spectacular numbers. Yeah. And also the unemployment rate fell from 7.5 to 4.5. So I think we'll start this year at about 5.1. Uh, obviously, a lot of the a lot of the weakness in the labour market will be uh, will be taken up by a, a, a fall in the participation rate. But as we get back to to strong demand for labour and the participation rate rises, you'll still get lower unemployment rates. So that's a key factor, and of course, it's being driven by a very different environment than we've seen in the past because of these supply shocks. On the labour, on on the supply of labour, closed foreign borders, and of course, what we don't know is people that are not getting vaccinated. What impact will they have on the supply of labour? Will they be freely available to join the labour force if they're not vaccinated? We're encouraged by our sentiment survey that we released this morning, where we're down to about seven percent of of our respondents that are that are adamant that they won't get vaccinated. So it's not going to be as big an effect as we thought maybe uh, three or four months ago when we had 20% who are, who are opposed to getting vaccinated. But I think it will be a factor. So those two factors, along with strong demand and along with what we've seen, the impact that tight labour markets have had um, in, the, in the last 12 months, give me that confidence. Bill, are you worried that we're seeing in Europe, the US, uh, UK, there, there are supply chain problems um, that is uh, causing uh, growth you know, issues and also inflation issues. Do you think this is going to be something that will dog us in 2022 or possibly because of the lockdown, which has slowed our recovery, by the time we start getting stronger, maybe a lot of those supply chain problems Will, will have been sorted out? Oh, I think there will be some there, without a doubt. But I think people talk about stagflation, and you remember the 70s, mm. and the world was a lot more oriented towards goods than services. So now it's very much a service-based economy. And so those shocks to uh, goods and the shocks to energy, I think, are less important in terms of holding back the economy. But Without a doubt, we will continue to see those supply restrictions going through most of the year. 
And of course, what that means is that this mix of supply restrictions in the goods sector, supply restrictions in the labour market and strong demand, as you said, that'll mean the Reserve Bank will, will reach its inflation target much earlier than it's expecting. And I would think that we'll get uh, the governor will hit his two and a half by the end of next year. So you're saying you're expecting interest rate rises in 2022, and we know the RBA has been suggesting it might be 2024. You First think quarter of 2023, Peter. So once that print comes through, yep. and I would expect it'll come through in the in January 2023, yep. a confirmation that the that um, the the term mean that they use as their key indicator has, has hit that two and a half percent level. And bear in mind that we haven't seen that since 2014. So you can see why they're cautious about predicting an earlier an earlier return to those levels. So, but that strange combination of strong demand interacting with um, restricted supply, both in labour markets and in goods markets, I think it'll be enough to get that number over the line. How many interest rate rises would you expect across 2023? Because we often see when they start, they often give three in a row, but things are, times are different. Uh, look, Peter, I would tend to try and work out what do we think the peak will be. Mm. And the peak will be dominated by the build-up in household debt. So we'll reach a point when the household servicing ratio will reach a point where the drag on the economy will be sufficient to, to signal to the authorities that you've done enough. And if you go any further, there's some real risks involved because, of course, house prices will continue to rise through this year and into next year. Um, so we're going to see a fairly vulnerable household sector once rates start to rise. So I would think the peak will be about one and a quarter percent by the end of 2024. Now, market pricing in early September was a peak of 0.9. Today, that's up to 1.4. So the markets are already getting excited that the cycle will be larger than, than I was expecting. We were being criticised a month ago to saying you're too aggressive. Now the market's on the other side. And I guess that's reflecting the points that you raised about the, the, the lift in inflation. Do you think the inflation is going to be transitory or do you think it may well be baked in a lot longer than economists have been predicting? I think the energy story will hold up for longer because the supply response will be restricted uh, because countries are looking towards um, achieving their net zero em emissions targets. Yeah. So a lot of the capacity in, in the coal and the gas sector have been restricted. Um, but I think eventually you'll find that things will settle down, but there will be that second order effect. So the Reserve Bank and the Fed trim out these big, the big movements in inflation, but you'll, the research suggests that there is a second order effect from those big spikes that stays within the, within the underlying story. That'll give you the number because, of course, headline inflation in the US now is four or five percent in other countries, and that's not going to be sustained, but there will be that second order effect. Have you been able to get your head around the implications of when foreign workers return to Australia and 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 before they do, the impact it's going to have on the labour market, impact on wages, impact on inflation? Oh, yes. Well, we released our, our ACCI Westpac business survey last week uh, and we asked them that a question that we like to ask is what's what's affecting your ability 
your your ability to make sales. And at the moment, it is a shortage of labour uh, at sort of record levels. And we keep hearing about about these issues. We saw this huge rise in vacancies before the before the lock the recent lockdowns. Clearly, there's this mismatch between demand and supply of labour, uh, and that is going to mean that um, that we will, I believe, we'll start to see some upward pressure on wages. Okay, and and that you know that's the old classic cost push inflation. Is that going to do you think lead to a a wage price um, spiral? No, I think after 30 years of low wages growth and low prices growth, in, expectations are still pretty low. So those days of the 70s where a, a, an employer felt, well, yes, I can afford to pay away those wage, large wage increases because I know I can pass it on in my prices, I still think we're a long way away from that. So there will be an element of that, of, of having to pay up for certain strategic workers. But the idea of a, of a huge lift that can be all passed on into inflation I think we're well and truly beyond those days. All right. So, Bill, looking at your view on economic growth, what's going to happen to interest rates, what, what's your expectation for the stock market, at least in 2022? I won't push you into 2023, though. You're probably good enough to get that right. But <laughs> the, the immediate 2022, I personally am reasonably optimistic with more volatility. But what's your view? I think one of the key points, Peter, is that the, the big unknown is what happens in China. And my view is that Chinese authorities, they do have the capacity to settle down these two big shocks that they've had in the energy sector and the property sector, if the desire is there. And I think whilst there is a, is a, great, a great enthusiasm for reform, I think that, the, that stability will still be the key driver. So the way they're, the way they're dealing with Evergrande at the moment, um, separating it out, supporting Evergrande, trying to make sure that it's um, that it does, the, the problems don't feed into the rest of the economy and they've got the firepower to do that. On the energy side, let's get that coal back. You know, we understand that reform is important, but this is a this is a real shock. So we'll encourage the the re the re remining of coal and that. So I think that will be that so the China story that sits as one of the major issues. I think will be dealt with the bonds. The bond market story. Uh, most of the rise in bond rates, I believe, should be more to do with growth than it is to do with inflation. And so, what we have to look forward to is that when the Fed moves away from from quantitative easing and starts to taper, which we expect in in January next year, you'll find that that real rate, so the, the, the difference between the inflation component and the nominal rate, will have to move back into positive territory. The moment's negative, it's minus one. Mm. So if you have you expect inflation to be at about at about two, two and a quarter, um, you the, the the bond rate was was had been holding at around that 1.3 1.4 it's now up to around 1.5 but it's in that territory um that's that's an unrealistic situation so i think that as we move into next year we get positive real rates that'll be seen to be an indication of the growth story rather than something that is indicating that the share market should fall apart mm, okay well, Bill, uh, you're giving me a tip on the stock market. For those people who didn't understand that answer was, yes, you're cautiously positive on stocks for 2022. Um, but what, what about your tip for the Everest? Because you are 
You're a member. Is it the AJC nowadays or they changed their name? Yeah, well, I was a director of the Australian Turf Club for seven years and I spent the last three years as the the treasurer. Um, So I was heavily involved with all of the uh, finances of the big race club and it was an amazing time, I have to say. Oh, look, the Everest was one one of the things that um, we, we introduced during my time, so I'm very proud of the success of that race. Uh, Peter, I think the best the best sprinter is Nature Strip, mm. and you saw that in the TJ Smith last year, last autumn when it just streeted them. But Eduardo has got this psychological uh, hangover mm. with, with with power over Nature Strip. So when when in, the last time Eduardo beat it, Nature Strip was on the rails and Eduardo was on the outside and worried it out of the race. This time Nature Strip's drawn the ten, Eduardo's drawn the seven. So Nature Strip will be able to bite us time. Don't worry about Eduardo; it'll be on us inside. Kick away. So that's my view. Okay. So that's the uh, economist view on the Everest. Bill Evers, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Peter. Good to talk to you. Well, my next guest on the program is Michelle May. She's a principal of Michelle May Buyers Agents. And I want to discuss some of the, the big issues that are affecting the market right now. Michelle, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Michelle, what, what do you expect? Lockdown is over in Sydney now. What, what do you expect is going to happen in terms of people showing up to auctions? Look, by from all accounts from, from selling agents and just the buyer demand out there from people just inquiring with us, um, I think we're going to go back to full, full blown out gangbusters. Um, really, um, over the last 18 months, you know, the technology online has gotten better, but I think people are going to have more of an appetite to, you know, go through open homes properly, have the time to go through them and then actually do the auction in person. Um, we have been representing a lot of people online because there is that hesitancy, you know, with the technology side of things. So I, I do think now that spring is well and truly here and we've got so much freedom, they're going to be good to go. Okay, so that's the demand side of the equation. And mm. lots of, um, I, mean, I think, uh, experienced real estate agents have been saying that they believe the supply of properties is going to increase. Is that what you're saying to see too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and from my perspective, that's a good thing because there has been so little choice. Uh, the quality has been pretty poor as well. Um, so I've been talking to a lot of selling agents and what we're seeing uh, also coming into our inbox uh, and looking on domain and little set and all the other portals, there's definitely more choice already uh, because vendors have been holding off, you know, to do a proper campaign and also because they were nervous not to have choice for themselves on where to move on next. So it's always that chicken or the egg equation. Um, so yes, I, I'm, I'm confident there will be more choice for buyers. Okay, so there's a lot of concern about the the rapid rise in house prices. Uh, my my gut feeling is that it's more likely that while the supply should slow down the price rises, there's a certain excitement factor when you actually show up and go to a, a, a open house and then go to an auction. I guess that enthusiasm wouldn't have been shown online so much. Is that a fair guess slash observation? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, auctions don't underestimate the amount of theatrics that go on. You know, agents can't wait to get normal auctions, in-person auctions going again because it's a huge marketing tool for them. And that that emotion that they can play into from the buyers and that FOMO uh, is no more present than when you're standing amongst other people who are also registered and, you know, with their family and supporters. So um, absolutely, I, I do think that um, while supply is going to sort of slow down the increase, um, I don't think that um, it's actually going to make much of a difference, to be honest. So you're not expecting buyers to see a real lot of relief out of the market, at least in the, the short term? No, unfortunately not. I, I wish it was the case. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, if you're looking at auctions, you know, I, I did an auction in Wurrunga only last week, 52 people were watching that auction, more than 20 people were registered. Uh, and this is not uncommon to have more than 15 registered people um, at, at, a, at an average auction. So um, I think that th the prices are really only gonna come down from, you know, uh, you know, things like APRA putting the reins on the banks and, and, and just slowing down the amount of money that people can borrow. I think that's probably going to have a bigger effect on, you know, buyers going crazy um, than, than more the supply side of things. Okay. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example of a question that someone put to me. You know, when people assume that you're a, allegedly an investment guru, they'll ask you any question, presuming <laughs> that I can have a 100% answer. Of course, I said to them, what I'm going to give you as an answer is not advice, it's just my best guess, but you're in the market, so I'm going to put the question to you. Mm -hmm. um, this person has uh, done a development. Uh, they have uh, 50 uh, apartments in that development, one and two-bedroom apartments, and her question to me was, um, should I be trying to sell them now or wait until 2022? Now, my, my best guess was there's probably going to be more enthusiasm uh, now than there will be in six months' time and 12 months' time. What would you say? Um, look, I think it's dependent on where this development is located because it's all about supply and demand. So if there's lots of other developments and new uh, properties already for sale that are very um, much uh, comparable to what she's trying to sell, then, you know, you need to take that into consideration. But I would agree with you that the appetite at the moment is still very high. Um, also next year, we're, we're going to have elections, which usually slow down um, things for property. You know, everyone's holding their breath. Uh, I'm not quite sure what for, but you know, it also, it always slows things down. So I think if you're ready to sell now, then why not sell now? You know, because a bird in the hand is better than 10 in a bush. <laughs> yeah, I think you've, you've actually just rewritten that uh, old saying, but still <laughs> works. It works for me. I think also you made the point earlier that APRA is going to get involved in this market mm. and they'll make it harder for people to access money. And that could be, an, well, obviously, they want it to be a break on house price rises. So, yeah. uh, in many ways, if people hang on, they might get higher prices uh, in the future, but the rate of rises are going to slow down, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that 
you know, your, your development question, you know, if, if it is one and two bedroom apartments, so that they are most likely to be most attractive to first home buyers who are obviously going to be, be hit the hardest, hardest by the average changes, you know, 5% change in borrowing capacity is going to make a big difference to them. So I do think that the, the, the changes that are going to be made are going to be hit those people with the smaller budgets first. Um, and so, you know, let, let's see what next year brings. But at the moment, market conditions are still very tough. Uh, and mm. Okay. And let's just differentiate between homes on a block of land and apartments. Mm -hmm. Is the enthusiasm for apartments the same as it is for, for homes uh, uh, as opposed to apartments? It wasn't, uh, certainly because of COVID, you know, people have, re have been reassessing what they want from their property and certainly having a patch of dirt and an extra space for a study or somewhere for the kids to learn from home has been crucial for many people looking. Uh, but I think affordability has now changed things um, where people were much more reluctant to look at strata living, you know, apartment townhouses uh, previously. They're now simply being priced out of um, buying a house, a Torrance title property. And so their efforts are being redirected to the apartment market. And I do see that apartments are performing better than they were, say, six months ago. Okay. One last question. It's, it's all related when I think about it. As I was listening to your answer and, and considering that the person who asked me that question, you know, wants me to be right and I've shoveled the, the responsibility onto you, so she <laughs> wants you to be right. I guess if, if by the middle of next year or the end of next year, Asian students start coming back, mm -hmm. they tend to be the sorts of people who chase apartments. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, definitely with, with the borders being opened again, we are going to see an influx of people looking to buy. And yes, a part of that will be foreign students mm. uh, and, uh, you know, definitely people moving here for work or, or family or other reasons. So um, at the moment, we don't have those people there yet. So if you're in the market to buy an apartment, definitely consider, you know, doing it now whilst the conditions, you know, the lending conditions are certainly fine as, as they are. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely going to be consideration for next year. Yeah. So, so in many ways, you either move now or you might have to wait for a year or a year or two to get some enthusiasm for the, the apartment uh, market like it was before the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, look, I think buyers sometimes forget that the market doesn't really care about them. The market's going to keep moving the way it's going to be moving. And so I, I think as long as you have your finances ready to go, uh, you know, you're financially secure, I think do your research, you know, go out there and see what's out there. And if you've come across the right one uh, and it stacks up, go for it. Michelle May, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And that was Michelle May of Michelle May Buyers Agents. Thanks for joining us on the program. If you want to know more about Switzer, you can go to switzer.com.au. I write a piece every day. And if you want to know more about the stocks that we're interested in, have a look at the switzerreport.com.au website and you can take out a free 21-day trial of the report. Once again, thanks for joining us. I'll see you on Monday night.